0: Shining a light on autism and life on the spectrum. Welcome to My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly, a podcast breaking down barriers, stigma, and misconceptions around autism. And now, here's your neurologically different host, Orion Kelly.
1: thank you so much for listening to my friend autism i'm o'rion kelly i'm autistic but what's critical to understand is that i'm just one person on the autism spectrum okay so if you've met one person on the spectrum well you've met one person on the spectrum no two autistic people are the same we have individual challenges strengths and gifts my purpose is to empower you with knowledge, education, and growth opportunities through open, honest, and engaging conversations on autism. Now, this podcast seeks to break down stigmas and misconceptions around autism while increasing the level of understanding and acceptance of autistic people.
0: My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly. Join the conversation now at the Orion Kelly Facebook page. My
1: Do you ever wonder if you, or maybe someone you know, could be autistic? I want to share with you on this episode of the podcast my story of how I got diagnosed as autistic and much later in life, though that's becoming more common these days. Now, I have got the classic, I wouldn't have picked you for being autistic, you don't look autistic, Hmm, I wouldn't have picked you for being a moron, (laughs) okay, I apologise. I'll put my matters back in. Aside from that, the most asked question is why. I don't get it, right? Why would you decide to seek a diagnosis for autism? I mean, you're a married guy, beautiful wife, two kids. You've had a successful career in media. I mean, you've made it this far, right? You're you're pretty much halfway to dying. (laughs) What's the point? And you know what? I actually wish it was that easy. I wish I could say, you're right, you know, I've made it this far. I've got all these things. What is the point? But you know what? It actually isn't that easy. And this story, I hope, will go some way to explaining why I don't think it's that easy. Okay. So, like we said, I've achieved some things in my life. Okay. We agree. (laughs) But it doesn't mean that in achieving those things and having those things like A wife, kids, a career, it doesn't mean that my day-to-day life hasn't still presented significant challenges. I've loved and been good at what I do for work, which is basically this communicating, working on radio, doing podcasts, YouTube videos, in essence media, right? To do it as a job has been amazing. And not many people always get to do what they're good at. That's a whole nother tangent. If if you are not doing what you are good at. As a job, you have forgotten the point of life. Anyway, (laughs) we're going to move on from there. Even though I've had the opportunity to work in jobs that are things that I love and and I'm good at, it doesn't mean that I haven't had issues in workplaces. So struggling to fit into workplaces has been a real challenge for me. This is one of those things where I'd say, okay, you can say, hey, you've made it this far, but no, hang on. I would have made it much further if I knew I was autistic so much earlier in life. I genuinely think my life would have been completely different. For example, you're born autistic. Okay? You, don't, you don't get it. You don't catch it. You don't acquire it. It's not a disease. It can't be cured. You're born with autism. You are born as an autistic person. And you die an autistic person. Okay, It doesn't weaken. It doesn't lessen. It doesn't wear off. Right. In fact, I think as you get older, you become more autistic. You don't want to or are unable to mask as much as younger people are who just want to conform. So really, as you get older... Having a diagnosis, I think, is actually even more helpful than it would be if you did it earlier in life. You know, prior to meeting my wife, sure, I had some relationships, but they, they were failed. I mean, they didn't work. I've had friendships. And again, I don't really know many that continue to this day that have lasted. Sure, you pick new ones up along the way. and I do have a couple of, you know, great friends. But as a rule, the friendships I've made throughout my life, throughout my I guess, personal and professional journey, I don't really, I don't really know where they've gone. I mean, I, I wouldn't even need one hand to count them on. And I don't know, that's the other thing, I don't know why. And since we've had kids, you know, I find parenting in a neurotypical sense, in other words, a non-autistic sense, it's, it's a big challenge. But it wasn't just my challenges that led me to, an assessment for autism. Look, there was a lot of traits involved, okay? So I think it's really important to understand, for starters, the reason why I thought I should seek an assessment is because as I grew in life and as more things came into my life, I found these challenges were becoming profound, were becoming significant. You don't work your entire life to get jobs in the career of your choice, to lose jobs for acting in a way potentially or be, or just being a way potentially that isn't accepted by the neurotypical, the norm, right? The, the HR that assume every single person that works in a workplace is all the same. I mean, and that's not even the same for neurotypical people, but as autistic people, you know, we, we are built differently in the brain, okay? We have a different wired brain. It is impossible for us, right, to actually go into a workplace and simply adhere to all the stringent demands of how a person must act and interact. It just doesn't work like that. It weighs you down over time. When you start to lose jobs or your career becomes harder and harder to maintain because there's just no acceptance or understanding, you think, hang on, this. either I'm just a really horribly bad person that no one wants and it, is a waste of time, or there's something about me I don't understand. And if I understand it, maybe I can turn this around. They're, they're core and profound reasons to seek an assessment later in life. And you can add to that my quirky behaviors, which are called autistic traits. We now know that. Okay, so it's not that I'm quirky, that I'm a little bit left of center. It's that I'm autistic. Also, from an early age, from like a kid, I'm absolutely that guy that people would say, oh, He's always moving, he's so nervous and fidgety, he's so restless, like, awkward, and what, what's wrong with his, like he's, what's wrong with him, you know, what's wrong with him? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's me, but nothing wrong with me, that's the manifestation of an autistic person. You know, I now know what I was doing in those moments where people thought, why is he moving around, why is he fidgeting, why is he awkward, you know, why is he so nervous? I now know that I wasn't any of those things, I was stimming. Now, stimming, it's basically short for self-stimulation, okay? It's a way of regulating ourselves or finding peace in a situation or an environment that is taking away our peace. It's things we do to deal with the world we're experiencing. Does that make sense? We're basically regulating ourselves. So stimulation might sound like one-sided, but it's not. It's just a, you know, a diff- that's, why, that's why you might see autistic people with what, we might call stimming toys or stimming tools or fidget toys or whatever you guys want to call them. But these things are actually designed for autistic people. They're tools. They're specific toys. You know, this is, they're for a reason, right? When you're fidgeting with them, there's a reason for that. It's because an autistic child, adult, whoever, just needs it in that situation. I guess a couple of other examples of the kind of stimming that I've done most of my life is, I don't realise it, but... I tend to play with my hair in a way that I'm kind of pulling, so it's not a, a, a sensual, it's not a soft play with it. It's like a, I grab my hair and I'm kind of kind of pull it, or I don't know, manipulate it or whatever. Right, I rub my fingers. I can trace things with my eyes, my fingers, my toes, even. So if I'm like watching TV and I see words or patterns or shapes, I might start tracing them with my fingers on my hand or just my eyes in midair or my feet in midair. I know that sounds strange, but again, this is me making sense. Of the world, Other things I like to do. I mean, I like to break into song, I like to make songs up. I do that a lot at home, just make songs up. <laughs> and I like to do funny voices. Now again, I don't do this to irritate people or to annoy people or this is the big thing too. You know, if I ever do funny voices or break into a different voice or make a song up out of nowhere, people automatically are gonna think this guy is actually insane. This guy's sick, right? There's something wrong with him. That's what people are gonna think. But the fact is I'm autistic and I'm stimming or I'm expressing Being overwhelmed or or I'm trying to regulate myself in a situation and this is the way that's going to make you know the sound of a different voice or the singing the rhythm of singing that can be used in a way that helps me in a way you you might not understand bottom line is all the things I've just talked about are ways that I basically make sense of a world around me that wasn't built for me I mean I'm an alien on a neurotypical world so I use them to bring myself back to some sort of comfortable place Now, as I discuss these traits, you may listen and be able to relate, strongly relate. Wow, are you serious? This is just like me. Or this is just like our child. Or this is just like our friend. Or or this is just like my partner. Or... Not at all. You might just find this interesting to listen to. But either way, this is why I think it's really important to share my story because it actually helps people not only understand the purpose of getting a diagnosis when you're an adult as opposed to a child and, and the, the argument, well, why bother? You've made it this far and me kind of debunking that argument. But also, look, maybe maybe you may know someone, someone very close to you who you think could be autistic and this may help you relate. Of course, these are only my own personal experiences. This is not a diagnostic criteria, but it's a great conversation starter. Other traits that I experience as an autistic person: being really, really bad at filling in forms, filling in paperwork. Right? I, not only can I, I will take forever. Like if I've got to go to a, I don't know a doctor or an appointment or whatever, then you have got to fill in a form. It could take me an extraordinary amount of time, and even then, it's fairly legible, right? It's, it's really hard. I can't explain why it's just really hard. Social interaction. I mean, that's a classic autistic trait, but you know, the challenge of social interaction. And now you might think, well, hang on a second, you've worked in media all your life. Like you communicate. I hear you, but it's just wrong. Okay. If you talk to anyone who's ever worked with me, you'd know that (laughs) it's just wrong. So you know, my issues with in social interaction, in understanding verbal, nonverbal cues, conventions, understanding people's intentions, my inability to not be brutally honest all the time. These are things that I genuinely have challenges with. Okay, so right now I'm communicating. Okay, cool, but how is this social? I'm in a room by myself talking into a microphone. You tell me how this is social. You're listening to it and I assume you're listening to it. I'm talking to you as I do this podcast. But it's not social, right? We're not having an interaction. I don't have to worry about your cues and the verbal, nonverbal body language and all that kind of, you know, like there's, so you can see how you can work in media and never have to actually really approach that or take that on. And of course you have the work life, but see, this is the thing. This is why I said, I've got to do what I love to do. But of course, because I'm autistic and because you have, you are in, in essence forced to be a part of a workplace, to socialize, to mingle, to interact, to work with others, and that isn't potentially one of my best strengths as an autistic person, things go bad. On my YouTube channel, I've got a YouTube channel where I do videos exclusively on my autistic experience. I've got a couple of videos up there about autism and employment. So if you're an an employer or you're an autistic employee, you just want to learn more about it for your corporation or your company or organisation, you should check those videos out because they actually are legitimately not only interesting, but also I think really informative to just provide solutions. It's not about just me giving problems. It's about solutions on how you can really support autistic people in the workplace today. And they bring such diverse benefits to your organisation. Oh, and the honesty thing. I I just want to quickly backtrack on the honesty thing. I mentioned one of my traits as an autistic person is that I'm just always honest. Now, you might think, well, hang on, that doesn't have to be an autistic trait. Like, I know people that are honest or that you might go, well, hang on a second, what are you saying? All neurotypical people are dishonest. Well, to that I say, yeah, kind of. So the thing about me as an autistic person, and I can't speak on behalf of everyone, but for me, I don't understand the whole white lie thing. I don't think I'm especially good at it. Actually, I'm horrible at it. I think my face smiles. I do some weird facial expression. That's like the reverse that you should be doing. So there's no poker face. And also I don't understand the premise. Why? As in why would I lie to someone even if it's a little bit because it just makes more sense? Now, I understand and acknowledge the difference here between white lies as a parent because there are certain things you know we as adults like to manufacture for the betterment of kids. That's cool. I'm talking about real world interactions. And I have no doubt that if you asked any neurotypical person, any non-autistic person that knows me, they'd absolutely all say, 100% of them would all say that I'm brutally honest. I don't get the whole, he's brutally honest, right? Because I look at it like this, you're either honest or you're dishonest. It doesn't make any sense when someone says because I'm always honest, which is an autistic trait of mine, that I'm somehow brutal. It's only brutal because it's true, right? If I was honest with you, and you in no way felt it to be a brutal truth, that either means that you know it's true and you've accepted it, or you know it's true and you don't really care if anyone points it out. right? But if I point something out that's true and you have not accepted it, you will not come to grips with it, you will not acknowledge it, then you're going to think it's brutal. So it's actually about how you're receiving it. It's got nothing to do with me being an honest person, but that's a trait of mine. It's a big one, okay? I'm sorry, but this is a big one of mine. People are like, no, you're so, you're so brutal. You're so... No, I'm not. I'm honest. Another autistic trait of mine is hypersensitivity. I have a hypersensitivity to sounds, smells, light, criticism, which kind of came out of nowhere. Right? It's an interesting one. There's something about – I don't know about autistic people generally, but certainly me, where – For some reason, I get very defensive and very argumentative with criticism. My brain doesn't register it as constructive. It registers as an attack. And therefore, if I'm attacked, I have to attack back to defend myself. And therefore, the only way to win that is to defend myself, but also to make sure that I get you to agree that I'm right and you're wrong. (laughs) So it goes well. And probably the only other real hypersensitivity is to, I don't know, this is strange given the industry I'm in, but... To people that are really in your face, you know what I mean? Like they're just all over you from the get-go, they're really upfront, really like whoa, really loud, out. it's strange, outgoing, extroverted people. For some reason, it's not that I don't like them, but the experience of this extroverted, in-your-face, outgoing kind of person from the get-go before I have a chance to develop any kind of connection with them, it just it actually overwhelms me. It's just too much. And as a rule, I shut down. Shutdown and meltdown, uh, I'm not talking about things you might use colloquially in the neurotypical world. I'm saying actual things that autistic people go through. So a shutdown, I mean, it's an uncontrolled action like a meltdown. You're not controlling it. A tantrum is controlled. A meltdown is not controlled. A shutdown is not controlled. It's where basically it co- it's like a reboot. My computer turns off and reboots. I'm done. I just I back away from that horrible in-your-face situation. I shut down. And this is such an easy fix. Like for those that are listening that know autistic people, Give autistic people time to warm up, for goodness sake. I'm not saying play a different character. I'm just saying, hey, if you're an extroverted, outgoing person, would it kill you to allow the autistic person a few minutes to warm up to you before you start jumping in their face right, and just peppering them? I mean, it's, it's se- it might seem odd or weird, but it's actually you helping someone who's different. And the upside of doing that, the upside of allowing an autistic person to warm up to you Because when you develop that connection, that bond, honestly, you become a safe person and you can get away with anything. I mean, anything, any personality, they're they're up for it because they, they feel connected to you. They trust you, you're safe, right? The people who do not give me that time, well, look, to be honest, they rarely get a second chance. And as an autistic person, in my experience, anything that gets me going the wrong way, that rubs me the wrong way, that does wrong by me, rarely gets a second chance. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's, just a, it's a fact. You know, you go to a shop, you go to a cafe, you go somewhere, a restaurant. They do something wrong, they get something wrong. It's blatant and it's stupid. You, I will never go back there. Th- that's it. Strike out. I guess that's a trait too, huh? Also, I'm a bit of a stickler. No, I'm not, hang on, let me rephrase that. I'm a real stickler. <laughs> I mean, I drive people crazy. I am given this innate ability as an autistic person to be able to pick up, identify errors of any kind. I can find things on my little sensor, things that aren't fair, things that aren't right. Honestly, in in anything, in anything. So we can have a conversation. It might be extraordinarily in-depth. It might be a great conversation, but I'll still be unable to stop myself from picking out words you might have said wrong or things you might have done wrong or whatever or reading through something. Yeah, that's not a bad document, but hang on, what about these and these? You know, little things that bother me. Uh, this is one example that I just can't get my head around, okay? Now, I did uni as a mature age student, so not straight out of high school, but as an adult. And I studied law at a, at a uni in Melbourne. I mean, I enjoyed the experience because it's it's, an, it's a privilege, but in saying that, <sighs> I dropped out. I, mean, I couldn't do it, so clearly it wasn't a great experience. And it wasn't because I was lazy, it was because I'm autistic and that they, they just don't understand supports. In the, the education world, look at it, in this really strange way which is all we need to give autistic people is more time more time for assignments more time for exams well you know my core point to that is if you give me 2 weeks extra for an essay right and at day 1 when it's released here's the essay if I don't understand it and professors or tutors or whatever are prepared to talk me through it because that's not uni but you give me 2 extra weeks that just gives me 2 extra weeks to not understand it i still won't be able to hand in something that will potentially pass right the extra time doesn't allow me to understand something I can't understand without someone teaching it to me in a different way same with exams you extend an exam all you're doing is extending my ability to melt down or to shut down which is what's only ever happened in exams because of the environment and the situation and the stress so it's just I don't know I hope it gets fixed I really do. It's horrible, but you know this is the thing, right? Okay, so Mr. Mr. Stickler at the uni, right? The, yeah, professors and tutors. Oh, I can't help you. It's up to you to help yourself. And then they they say, oh, we'll take we'll take marks off for grammar and stuff. Okay, cool, no worries. But then they put their slides up, right? You know their slides for their lecture. And what's in the bottom corner there? Oh, I see that says English in brackets American. So hang on, if I spell a word in American English. Well, you'll tell me and I'll lose points, but you can teach us the material we're supposed to spew back out to you in an essay in American English. Like seriously, I know I'm being a stickler, but get your stuff together, champs. Now, one thing you might notice about me, about autistic people potentially, is this kind of laser-focused passion. (laughs) Whenever, (laughs) it doesn't really matter what I'm talking about. If I get going, if I start talking about something and – I mean, I'm passionate about it. From my point of view, I look at it like this. I don't, I probably talk more in podcasts than in my real life. But if I talk, it's probably because I'm passionate about what I'm about to say. I don't talk for the sake of talking. Well, you know how some people just, they make chit chats. Yeah, I can't do small talk. I don't get it. I don't understand it. You know, people that just talk for no reason about traffic and weather and the day and I don't know, whatever. Like, I don't know what they, sports, I guess. Yeah, I can't do that. So this kind of laser-focused passion, look, it can come across like an obsession. And this flows through to our special interests. Autistic people, as a rule, I mean, everyone has a hobby, right? Everyone has things they like to do. There's a difference, though. You see, for an autistic person, they may hang their entire life on their special interest, right? Their whole life will revolve around their special interest. And the key, I think, for parents of kids is to, number one, help them identify their passion, their special interest, and two, use that to teach them the things they need to learn, they might not want to learn, which they have to learn, right? The standard educational stuff, which clearly needs to be learned. But then find them a way where they can build a career path to work in the employment world, normal everyday mainstream workforce, doing something directly related to their special interest, right? This is the key for autistic parents, and like I said, it's different for every autistic person. But don't look at it like a hobby, okay? See, you go to work, neurotypical people, socialize, spend time with family. They do all manner of things, right? They really like to just spread themselves completely thin. And hobbies they do, you know, they might do sports or whatever, arts or dancing or whatever. See, autistic people, they really, it's not a hobby to them, it's, it's their life. It's their absolute core passion in life. In fact, life gets in the way of your special interest. Now, clearly we've established, for me, my special interest is entertaining, communication, media, radio, videos, podcasts, these types of things. And absolutely, it's annoying how much life gets in the way of me doing my special interest. Like, to record podcasts takes time to record and edit and produce my YouTube videos. takes an extraordinary amount of time to write blogs, to respond to people commenting and messaging on my Facebook page and my website. It all takes time. So life gets in the way and it's not, it's not like a hobby. Oh, yeah, didn't go to soccer this week. I mean, it's not, you know, oh, well, it's, it's not like that. You know, it actually can, can have a, look, a significant impact on your own mental health and, and I guess your own ability to deal with the world around you. I guess the only other point I'd make is, to make this really kind of clear, for neurotypical people, you know, a hobby, it's generally something you would do when you have the time to relax, right? For relaxation and recreation, right? Which, by the way, if you have a town and it has like a rec reserve, you know, just going back into history here, just a small quick history lesson, you know, the rec reserve. What's the rec reserve mean? Well, it means a portion of land is hereby declared reserved to be kept for recreation, put it together you've got your local town's recreation reserve which you just call a rec reserve anyway that's a history lesson you did not want but anyway you get what i'm saying right a special interest is our whole life it isn't something we do to relax for recreation autistic people don't do their special interests at times of relaxation or for recreation we do it as our life right it is our life that's all we want to do Honestly, I would choose doing my special interest. I would choose recording podcasts, YouTube videos, and blogs, and everything else that I do. I would choose that any day of the week over any kind of self-care, over eating, over drinking, over sleeping, over showering, over taking breaks. Got to go to the toilet? Hold it in. I mean, this isn't. I'm, I'm not doing humor. Self-care is absolutely something that was another thing that, I guess, got me on the road to a diagnosis. Prior to diagnosis, when I just thought I was a bad person, a person that just wasn't worth being here, didn't seem to have friends, couldn't keep jobs, you feel lost, overwhelmed, you feel alone. So prior to having any idea about what all those factors meant, all the traits and factors I've just discussed, had any relevance to me, let alone knowing they might have been autistic traits, I was clearly experiencing high levels of anxiety on a daily basis. I was weighed down, I guess, by depression as well to a lesser extent. So obviously, with the support of my wife, I saw a clinical psychologist. Now, that was clearly for my anxiety. Within the first session, pretty much, autism was brought up by the psychologist. It it rattled me, actually, because I kind of thought, hang on a second, I've come here to get help with anxiety. You diagnosed me with autism. Now, that wasn't the case. They were just putting it out there, it set me on my path. And after I went through that experience in hindsight, you know, with my wife the the night after or whenever, you have an aha moment. And that's what happened for me. And then clearly with the incredible support and encouragement of my wife, who got me into a psychologist for my anxiety, she continued to encourage me. And obviously with the suggestion of the psychologist, you know, I sought an assessment for autism. Now I have got a YouTube video on this entire process, including... An experience that was really bad for me that, well, I think ended up making me far more depressed than I ever was. I think, my honestly, my wife might have feared for my life. So you could check out that video on my YouTube channel. But let's just bypass the bad stuff because that did happen. And I had an initial bad experience with a psychiatrist, but I was finally put in touch with a psychiatrist specializing in autism. I tell you, it was a giant relief. I was diagnosed as an autistic person it wasn't even a question. It was something that was pretty much brought up as I walked in the door, the way I walked and acted. But we went through the proper rigorous diagnostic criteria, the DSM-5. It goes over many sessions and I was eventually diagnosed as autistic. I was also diagnosed with general anxiety disorder and social anxiety disorder, which I guess in a way, when you think about it, maybe I don't have those things. Maybe because I'm autistic, I have that anxiety because social things are actually hard for me. in fact, being in a world not made for me is can be hard for me, so I'm always anxious about it. But anyway, that's a whole different conversation. But again, back to the initial and core question, why would a guy who's in his adulthood even bother getting diagnosed? Surely you've come too far now in life. What's the point? Well, I can tell you after being diagnosed as autistic, it was an absolutely giant relief. I in no way put any negative Thoughts or memories on this diagnosis. I mean, I felt so much lighter. I felt instantly happier, more peaceful. It dawned on me that I basically had two lives. I was born again. I mean, I was born autistic, but up until diagnosis, I was, I, I thought I was neurotypical. I thought I was normal and I was just bad, not worthwhile, you know, and like just someone that shouldn't have been here, right? A mistake. And then when you can be diagnosed, it's a new life. It's like, okay, no, I'm not bad. I'm not a failure. I'm someone that I didn't know, let alone someone else in the community, right? So it's a new start. And when I look back on it, I see two different people. This is why it's actually really important. If you feel that there's a diagnosis there to at least seek an assessment in adulthood. And your experience might be like mine. You know, I had a a child diagnosed, which led me to mine. It also means that if my son's autistic and I'm autistic, it probably didn't start with me. It had to come from somewhere. Could have come from my mum or my dad or either sides of my grandparents. It had to come from somewhere, though. You know, without a doubt, the mental health benefits of my diagnosis they were virtually immeasurable, right? And I think it was beneficial as well, not only to me and my mental state, which absolutely helped me in my mental state because I finally felt like I knew who I was. I knew why I was like I was and why I was here, and I could I could actually put down some real roots into the world knowing that this is me. But I think it also benefits your relationship, my relationship with my wife and my kids. And I think it helps you in all aspects. And also too, if you can be open and honest about it and just tell people, look, this is it. Because the thing is people can get diagnosed and then try to keep it a secret. I don't get it. It's weird to me. I don't understand that. But that's cool, it's your choice. From my point of view, if you want to know who you really are, well then that means you want other people to know who you really are. Because if you think you're a bad person, well, then chances are they will too. But if they know that it's not that you're a bad person, it's that you're a bad neurotypical person, as in <laughs> I've tried to play the role, but I'm just bad at it because I'm not. Then, and if they know that, that can only help you in a positive way. Another big benefit for me personally on getting a diagnosis was, I mean, not only did it encourage me to learn more about the real autistic me, but also it provided me the opportunity to, I guess, educate and advocate For autistic people, so try to educate and inform the broader community about autism using my own core strengths, my own special interest, and also to advocate for autistic people. Not because they can't do it for themselves, but because there are many advocates out there, but not all of them are autistic. So I think the more autistic advocates we can get going, the less relevant advocates who aren't autistic will be. Now I'm not saying that if you advocate for autistic people and you're not autistic, that you're not relevant. We appreciate it. What what I'm saying is we can't be shooting down autistic people because there's already advocates or, hey, you don't talk for me. Well, hang on. I'm not trying to talk for you. I'm actually just trying to get the broader community to understand and accept you, us, the community, and that's a good thing. To finish up, I I think it's important to be honest because that's what I am. (laughs) It's not all a bit of roses. Look, there are some genuine post-diagnosis challenges, I think at the moment, as in where we currently are in the world, being diagnosed as an autistic adult kind of is basically like just getting a piece of paper and then a pat on the back. I mean, you aren't really referred to any real support, any real services that will improve your life. Not that there are a lot of services currently available for autistic people that actually improve their life. And I've got a video on my YouTube channel about intervention therapies, you know, like early interventional therapies for autistic kids and Basically, the video talks about why I, I don't think they work or they're even relevant. They're, in effect, acting classes, teaching autistic kids how to act neurotypical slash normal. You basically walk away with a diagnosis, which has all manner of positive impacts, but it also can just feel like a piece of paper. And then, all right, catch you later. You're back out in the world by yourself. Living in the outside world as an autistic person, nothing really changed from pre-diagnosis to post-diagnosis, if that makes sense. You don't get a fresh start. (laughs) You don't get a second chance, even though you now know you were living your entire life prior to the diagnosis with an undiagnosed disability. Do you see what I'm saying? So, you know, friendships, relationships, jobs, things that may have soured, broken down, gone wrong because of the way you might have acted or behaved, right? It's not like people go, oh, look, I'm... I'm so happy to hear you've got a diagnosis. That explains a lot now. That makes sense to me now. I get that now. That doesn't happen. People still write you off. Like, no, 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 you're just not nice or you're just not right fit or, or whatever. And that's actually not fair now. And you, you know it isn't. But I think the worst part is when, you know, some of your friends and your family, they don't actually accept or support the diagnosis. Now, I know this is common. I get emails from parents all the time saying that the grandparents of their newly diagnosed autistic child just don't accept it or won't accept it or refuse to try to learn more about it and don't understand it. And, you know, one of the first things I always say is you've just got to look at it from their point of view. For starters, it's really hard to understand things that are new or you weren't ever told when you were growing up. And a lot of times I just point them to my videos, podcasts, other resources, just look, get them to watch a few of these and it might help them, and often it does. But it's just common for people to even reach out to me and say, I just don't know what to do here. You know, My own family doesn't really respect or support this diagnosis. And the bottom line is here, regardless of what drives that stance by that family member or that friend, whether it's guilt or disbelief, I'm like, you know, when I say guilt, I mean like the parents might – not want to accept it, or the grandparents might not want to accept it because then they feel like, well, they are too, or they caused it, and that makes them guilty, right? Or it might make them angry because now that might mean they might be that and they're scared of being that. It's, you know what I mean? It's just this vicious cycle. The bottom line is the simple act of acceptance and support, that can actually be the biggest benefit of receiving an autism diagnosis. So that's my story for the most part. <laughs> I mean, we'd be here all day. I hope it's helped and just a quick reminder that when i've talked about my own story that's exactly what i've done i have not provided you or laid out for you a diagnostic criteria you can't listen to my podcast and diagnose yourself or others as autistic but it absolutely might trigger some relatable moments or things you can you can understand you can feel you can it can resonate with you and if that's the case it might start conversations and i just hope in sharing my story I've helped you on some level.
0: My My Friend Friend. Autism with Orion Kelly. Online at orionkelly.com.au.
1: Well, thank you so much for listening to My Friend Autism. I really do appreciate it. And if the episode has resonated with you, well, I'd love it if you would share it with your family and friends so we can reach more people. Continue the conversation if you'd like. It's just a topic or area of autism you want me to explore. You can just say, hey go to my website and my Facebook page. So like the Orion Kelly Facebook page, you can send me a message via that, or you can send me a message via my website, orionkelly.com.au. That's O-R-I-O-N-K-E-L-L-Y.com.au. I've also got a YouTube channel, Orion Kelly, that autistic guy. So go and check out my website, Facebook page and my YouTube channel. And I'd love you to subscribe to my YouTube channel again, so we can reach more people and help spread the word about autism and hopefully increase the level of understanding and acceptance of autistic people. And that's what this podcast is here to do, to break down stigmas and misconceptions around autism. Increase that level of understanding and acceptance. So all I'm asking is for you to open your hearts and minds to people a little bit different to you and embrace the benefits of neurodiversity. Until next time, thank you so much for opening up your heart and mind and embracing differences.
0: You've been listening to My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly. To join the conversation, get in touch with Orion and never miss an episode, like the Orion Kelly page on Facebook or visit orionkelly.com.au.